Hello and welcome to the Renovation Church Podcast, where our vision is to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and change the world. My name is Mason Smith, and I'm the creative director here at Renovation Church. We are so thankful that you're joining this podcast today. We hope that today's message inspires you and draws you closer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. I'm so glad that you have chosen to tune in with us again this morning. It's an honor to be able to worship with you from wherever you are, whether that's at your house or your job or or in your car, or even if you are laying in your bed listening to this message. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, but hey, let me just tell you that it is still Easter Sunday today. We are still worshiping that Jesus is still risen, he's still powerful, and he is still good, and he is still changing lives today. So we're so grateful that you're with us today. We are finishing a series this morning called Famous Last Words. And what we've been doing in this series is we have been looking at four of the seven final things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. This morning, we're going to wrap up with our final saying from Jesus on the cross that we are studying. Here's what he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And I am just so excited about this morning because even though this isn't the last thing that Jesus said on the cross, I wanted to save it for last because I hope today will be the day that some of you have your lives changed forever. I honestly believe that for some of you that are watching or listening right now, that in 30 years you will look back to this day and say, man, that day was a defining moment in my life. April 19th, 2020, that was the day I found freedom in Jesus and the trajectory of my life and my eternity was changed forever. As I was studying for this message this week, I was reading that a lot of people in the church, a lot of people who would say that they're Christians today, would really fall in one of four categories as where they feel like they are with God. The first category people tend to find themselves is a category that says that they're secure, but they're unsure. They're secure, but they're unsure. These would be the people who who do have a secure relationship with God, but they are constantly worried that they have done something to mess up, or they have failed, or they've done something to make God mad at them in some way. They're, They're secure in their salvation, but they're really unsure of where they stand with God on any given day. That's secure, but unsure. The second category that many people tend to find themselves in is sure but not secure. Sure, but I'm really not secure about that. Many people in the church today are sure they're saved because they believe in religion. They believe that, well, if I do these things, if I accomplish this checklist, if I'm a good person, that God's going to be pleased with me. They, they're sure that they are saved. But the problem is they're really not secure in that salvation because they believe in their good works or their morality to save them when really none of those things are what saves us. They're sure, but they're not actually secure. The third category that people tend to find themselves in is they are not sure and they're also not secure. And this is where I think probably most people would land, where maybe even you would say, well, I 
I don't really know. I, I think it'll all work out in the end, or at least I'm, I'm hoping that it all works out in the end, but I don't really know. I'm not sure that anybody could really know. So in my life, I'm just trying to do more good than bad to try to tip the cosmic scale one way or another at the end of my life so that I can be good with God. These would be the people that would say that they aren't sure where they stand, and they're definitely not secure in their salvation. But then there's a fourth category, and this is the goal of all of us that are watching today, that we would be both secure and sure. That we would be secure and sure. That we would be able to say after today, yes, I absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that I have a relationship with God because of Jesus. And I know for a fact that I will be in heaven someday with him. You are completely confident you are sure, and you're secure. And to get to that point for all of us today, I want to use the story of the thief on the cross to help you know where you stand with God. I'll read you the story, and then we'll go back and we'll work through it just a little bit and break it down. So the story's found in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. Here's what it says. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then here's our our, our final, final promise from the cross today. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. In this story, we have Jesus hanging on the cross. But Jesus wasn't crucified alone. There were actually three people on that day that were being crucified as well. In the center is Jesus, and then on his left and on his right, he has two criminals. Now, Jesus being up there, let, let me just kind of kind of key in on this. Jesus wasn't really supposed to be on that cross. Jesus had lived a perfect life. He didn't do anything wrong. Yet through this series of events, he was falsely accused. He was put on this sham trial. And all of that landed him where he was. Jesus wasn't really the man that was supposed to be dying that day. He actually died in another man's place. The guy who was supposed to be crucified on that day, on that cross, on that hill, was a man named Barabbas. And Barabbas was the leader of a group that caused what's called an insurrection. It was, it was this rebellion that, that, was, that was going on against the Roman Empire that was obviously unsuccessful. And so the two other guys that Jesus was being crucified with, the one on his left and right, they were part of, of Barabbas's gang. And, and they had gotten wrapped up into this plan and they were a part of this insurrection with him. Well, Barabbas had murdered someone and these guys were just there with him when all that went down and they all got arrested in this ancient Roman sting operation or whatever it was that happened. But the point is all these guys got caught and put on trial and they were all sentenced to die by crucifixion. 
And they used crucifixion because the Roman government used crucifixion as a way of scaring people against ever doing that thing again. Because when you saw someone getting crucified, you were like, man, there ain't no way I want to be doing what they did to get them put up on that cross. So they used crucifixion as a way to ward people off to say, if you try to come against the Roman Empire, this is what's going to happen to you. It's execution by crucifixion. But at the last minute, Barabbas, the the insurrection leader, he got a pardon by Pilate. In that time, uh, every year, there was a tradition that, that once a year they could show mercy and they could release one prisoner that was found to be guilty and they would be able to go free. And this day, it happened to be two people were up to be able to go free. There was Jesus and then there was Barabbas. Now, Pilate didn't really want to crucify Jesus. That's why he put him up against such a horrible person because he thought, well, if I offer Jesus, who's really a a great guy and the religious leaders don't like him, but I'll put Jesus up against this horrible, nasty insurrection guy, this murderer named Barabbas. And he thought, surely they're going to let Jesus go. They wouldn't want someone like Barabbas out back on the streets with them. But the Jewish leaders had influenced the crowd so much that they started chanting, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So through this wild turn of events on this day, Barabbas goes free and Jesus steps into his place. The guilty one is set free and found innocent and the innocent one is found guilty. It's this crucifixion substitution. It's a picture of what really Jesus was just about to accomplish and do for you and for me. See, this story is really one of the most incredible, what happens after this is one of the most incredible acts of faith that really we've ever seen in the world. John Calvin once said, I wonder if ever since the beginning of the world there has ever been such a bright example of what faith looks like. Because if you are still holding on to hope that, that it's how good you are that gets you into heaven, this story will completely disprove that theory. Now, it is 100% faith that makes you right with God. Not faith in what you've done, but faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. They can help you be sure and secure in your relationship with God. This is the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus stepped into your place. He was your substitute. He took the punishment that you deserved. He died the death that you should have died. And he did it all so that you who are guilty could be made innocent in the eyes of God. And that's how Jesus ended up on another man's cross surrounded by these two criminals on either side. So what do we know about these two men? We don't know a lot, actually. We don't know their names. We don't know their childhood or their upbringing or all the decisions they've ever made in their life. But their stories have been pretty much the same up until this point. We know that they were both criminals. They were both sentenced to death. They were both hanging on the cross in an excruciating pain. They were both facing certain death. Yet we also know that they both made different decisions that would have eternally different results in their life. Let's go back just a little bit. Let's read a few verses. Let's read Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Here's what it says again. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So this guy, we're going to call him thief number one. 
And thief number one scoffed at Jesus, meaning he spoke to Jesus in a very mocking way. And he said, hey man, if you are who you say you are, then save yourself. And while you're at it, you might as well go ahead and save us too. Now imagine, this is a man dying of crucifixion. And every word that you speak while on the cross is done in pure agony. Because in crucifixion, they would nail your your hands, your wrists, and your feet to the cross. And when they put you up into that upright cross position, your body weight would drag you down and you couldn't breathe. Most people died by crucifixion, not because of blood loss, but because of suffocation, because the lungs would fill up with fluid. So the only way to get a breath or to be able to speak was to pull yourself up on the nails to grab just this breath of air before you went down hanging and essentially drowning again in the fluid that was filling up your lungs. And what he did was he pulled himself up enough just to mock Jesus, just to say, hey, if you are who you say you are, then save yourself. If you are who you say you are, then save us. See, all he wanted was for Jesus to get him out of this situation. He was pulling himself up and he was saying, help me physically. Help my life be better. He's saying what a lot of us say to Jesus when we're in trouble. Jesus, help make my life better. Jesus, heal my wife of her cancer. Jesus, get me out of this financial mess. Jesus, help me get this dream job. Jesus, if you are who you are, then prove it and do what I need you to do. That's how a lot of us are. That's how a lot of us see God. That's how I used to see God. I used to think that Jesus was just my cosmic good luck charm. And I would test him and try to trick him and say, okay, Jesus, if you're really so powerful, then just do this for me and show me and then I'll believe in you and I'll serve you. I just wanted the same thing that thief number one wanted, which is for God to help me physically with whatever it is I was going through. But then there's the second thief. We're going to call him thief number two. And for those of you who are new to church, the first four books of the New Testament are what we call the Gospels. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were written by men who had walked with Jesus. They were his disciples. And when they wrote these books, they were firsthand accounts of what they had witnessed in the life of Jesus. So in Luke's account, what we read, it gives us a little bit more of the highlighted version of what's been happening here. But in Matthew's account, we see that thief number two, he actually wasn't quite as innocent as maybe we believe he was this whole time. Here's what Matthew chapter 27 verse 44 says. It says, even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. But somewhere throughout this whole process, thief number two undergoes a change. Because eventually, here's how thief number two responds to his friend, thief number one, who's scoffing at Jesus. Luke 23, verse 30, uh, 40 says, But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he would go on to say, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Do you see the difference between these two men? Do you see the difference between what these two men ultimately wanted from Jesus? Thief number one asked Jesus to help him physically, but thief number two was asking Jesus to help him spiritually. This guy went from taunting Jesus to defending Jesus. In just a matter of hours, the criminal had turned to the Christ. 
And in that moment that mattered most, in this most important moment of his entire life, he said these nine words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This may have been the only prayer this man had ever prayed in his entire life, but in this moment, it was enough. And Jesus didn't respond to him by saying, well, you're too late. You had your chance. You wasted your entire life, and now that you're at the end, now you want to start living for me? Now you want to know God? Now you want heaven? Jesus didn't remind him of everything that he hadn't done or had done. Instead, Jesus said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Both criminals, both with similar stories, both sentenced to die, both in excruciating pain, both facing certain death, yet both had different decisions that resulted in eternally different results. And there are some of you who are watching today who are faced with the same decision as the thieves on the cross. Some of you might be sitting in your living rooms this morning watching this with someone else six feet apart, of course. And one of you will hear this message and it will resonate with you. And God's going to speak to you. And this morning, I believe that you're going to call on the name of Jesus to save you spiritually. And you will be forgiven for anything that you've ever done. And what Jesus said on the cross is the same thing that he will say to you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And then there's the other one of you that's watching. That you're going to be a lot more like thief number one. And you're, you're thinking, is this sermon ever going to end? Like, when is this going to wrap up? I'm pretty sure I'll go to heaven when I die. I've, I've, I've tuned in to church. I, I texted $20 into the number that they put up on the screen. I've completed the spiritual checklist. I've done the things I need to do. Like, I'm, I'm fine. The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law just simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And here's what he says. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You are made right with God, not because you joined a church or not because you got baptized when you were a baby or not because you did a bunch of good religious things. You are made right with God through having faith in Jesus. This man who was hanging on the cross, who was forgiven, he had no good works to point to. He didn't have any church attendance to lean on. He wasn't a tither. He wasn't a small group leader. He wasn't a missionary. He had absolutely nothing good to show for his entire life. He could not trust in his good works because he didn't have any. And at this point, he was dying. All he had in his last moments on earth was to use his final strength in his last breath to place his faith in Jesus. And at that moment, it was enough. He couldn't come off the cross and start living his best life now. He couldn't come off the cross and give money to a church. 
He couldn't come off the cross and turn over a new leaf. The only thing he could do was place his faith in Jesus in his final moments, and that was enough. So what can we learn today from this man who received forgiveness 2,000 years ago with his dying breath? What did this man do? He did four things in these final few moments, three things in these final few moments of his life. He acknowledged God, he admitted his guilt, and he asked for forgiveness. And then Jesus assured him of salvation. Jesus said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And what's true for him is still true for you. Today, you can acknowledge God. Today, you can admit your guilt. And today, you can ask for forgiveness. And Jesus, because of what he did, you can be assured of your salvation. And God can hear you, and God will forgive you. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that someone today would realize that, that they've been trusting in all of the wrong things to get them to heaven. God, they've been trusting maybe in their church attendance or, or, or their good works, or maybe they've even been trusting in their parents' faith. Well, today, I ask, Father, that like the thief on the cross, that they would acknowledge you for who you are. God, that they would trust in you by faith as their Savior. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to give his life for us so that we could have true life. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. If you'd like to support Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com slash give. It's because of your faithful and consistent generosity that we're able to continue ministries like this all across the world. If you'd like to learn more about Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com. If you enjoyed today's message, then we'd encourage you to share it with family and friends. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless.